Hey guys, it's Liz Kelly and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. The Ringer's YouTube channel is nearing 100,000 subscribers, so make sure you check us out on youtube.com slash the ringer to keep up with the latest NBA desktop with Jason Concepcion, Slow Newsday with Kevin Clark, and tons of Ringer original videos like Hallelujah or Kobe Come Back. Also, be sure to check out all of our NBA trade deadline coverage. Kevin O'Connor wrote about the ongoing pursuit of Anthony Davis. Dan Devine wrote about the five biggest questions after the trade deadline. And Bill Simmons and Ryan Russillo recorded a live trade deadline reaction podcast, which you can watch on youtube.com slash the ringer or listen to on Apple and Spotify. David, people on the Twitter machine got mad this week. Because every negative news story about a 2020 presidential candidate is being called an, quote, oppo dump. <laughs> What's a better and less unappealing term to use than oppo dump? Oh, my gosh. It seems so unnecessary. I think this is, I mean, it depends. If it's true, then I think we can just call it a, a fact, right? I think, I, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not the, uh, I haven't been in this world for too long, but I think back in the halcyon days of journalism, they used to call that a, a lead. You yes. Know, somebody would give you some information. And a hot you, then tip. You, then you, yeah. <laughs> follow it up with some research and some reporting. Yeah. And it, it sort of begs the question of if you got true information from somebody who was, let's say, on another campaign, should you not print it, right? What if yeah. what if information came from people who had a had a stake in the matter? That's okay, right? That's not uh that's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah, be skeptical, but uh but but uh you can verify all that. If you can verify you should run with it. We are the friendly dump of media podcasts. <laughs> this is the press box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Friendly dump. The Press Box is the media podcast where you're not allowed to tell us whether or not you record an interview. We don't care. We are Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker of The Ringer. And three big topics we got for you today, David. First, Jill Abramson was a decorated journalist. Then she wrote a book about the media, and now she's an undecorated journalist. How a former New York Times editor got canceled. Second, and this will shock you, David, but Kevin Durant laid into NBA reporters last week. And beyond the pure titillation, I think the blast was a vision of the future of NBA media relations. I will explain. And finally, the founder of Amazon gives journalists everywhere the license to write the headline, Bezos exposes Pecker, a case of reverse journalistic extortion, plus our weekly notebook dump, and of course, the overworked Twitter joke of the week. But David, let's start with Jill Abramson. And I think it's important to say right. right off the top that Jill Abramson what she did in her book, The Merchants of Truth, is plagiarism. Full stop, yeah. unequivocal plagiarism, as Vice's Michael Moynihan and others pointed out. And I think it's important to say that because Jill Abramson is running away from the word plagiarism like Tyreek Hill running away from defensive backs. <laughs> Here's Brian Stelter of CNN trying to pin her down this weekend on reliable sources when she claims that the problems can be traced to the book's footnotes. But even if I include a footnote... I still can't steal their words, word for word, the way that well, you did. Well, if you give them proper credit, you can. But not, not in a book. It yes. doesn't matter if I put a footnote 300 pages later. If I do that in a book, that's plagiarism. That's word for word stealing of other people's work. Well, that you know, that's your your position. I, I don't, don't see it that way. But it meets yeah. the Harvard definition of plagiarism, and you work at Harvard. It meets the I New York Times indeed. definition of plagiarism where you worked. 
You're saying but you didn't I, plagiarize. I'm saying that I made some errors in the way I credited sources, but that there was no attempt to pass off someone's ideas, opinions, and phrasings as my own. These were all factual passages that unfortunately did not max, match up exactly to the right footnotes, but they are credited in the footnotes elsewhere. Right, they're credited at the very end of the book, but the words are stolen from other sources, the actual words. <laughs> so again, to repeat, when you take direct text from various sources and put it in your book called The Merchants of Truth and don't put quote marks around that text, that's plagiarism. Doesn't matter if the footnotes there. Doesn't matter if footnotes not. It doesn't matter. Here's where I want to take this discussion, David, because I think I don't want to get us totally bogged down in the particulars here. My question for you is: Why do you think Abramson has such an aversion to copying to plagiarism? Why is that particular journalistic crime so hard for her just to say, "I did it. I'm sorry. I'll fix it on the next round of books." Well, I think the answer is sort of in the question. Um, first of all, I mean, it's she has to be just totally pinned to the ground by the, under the weight of irony here, right? I mean, it's just that, that she would write a book about journalism called Merchants of Truth and and have this be the, I mean, just all that anybody wants to talk about um, and justifiably. Um you know, uh, we we talk about this sort of thing in the realm of politics, sometimes in the realm of sports. I don't think that it's I don't think I mean, I think there's something just sort of deeply human about the desire to sort of dodge the charge rather than owning up to it, even when that would seemingly put you on the on the right path. Uh, but and, and also, you know, I think that there's I mean, I, I'm not sure that in this specific instance that owning up to it would really make a big difference in terms of this media push. I mean, she's she's out there doing the shows to promote the book, and I'm sure most of these appearances were scheduled ahead of the ahead of the controversy. And I don't think that an apology on show number one would affect the fact that I mean, would, would keep show number two from go- digging into this stuff. <laughs> so I think sort of fighting back. I mean, in the very in the it's it is sort of like a political move, but I think fighting back, she probably sees that as her as her as her best move. And as someone someone here at the Ringer pointed out, and I think that it's sort of borne out to be true that that. I'm not sure that the 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 combat and the, the fighting back is the best look for but but that there's uh, so that you know getting in the weeds about the technicalities of footnotes or making it seem like it's an argument that's in the weeds um I think you know we'll probably leave most most viewers um to believe that uh, believing that that she didn't do anything terribly terribly wrong which is not the case so I mean I, I think in, that's in some right. sense in some sense, I think that it's you know she, it is a sort of canny decision. I think I think that's I think you're exactly right, and I think the lesson is when journalists get shoved into a corner and caught red-handed mm-hmm. with obvious wrongdoing, they turn out to be just as weaselly and truth-averse as the people they cover. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, we would like to think that we are paragons of, and of some kind of virtue, but you look at her. I mean, I read this Vox interview that she did. And she says, I had a fact checker and several people helping me with research. And I did many drafts of many chapters full of factual materials. And, you know, mistakes were made. Somebody like Jill Abramson, who was the Washington bureau chief of The New York Times, surely knows that mistakes were made is such a classic passive voice phrase 
of political blame shifting that it has its own Wikipedia page just to mm -hmm. chronicle the number of times it's been used. And yeah. here is a political journalist using the phrase mistakes were made. And by the way, I think I saw that on Josh Marshall's Twitter feed, just so I have my attribution correct by my trailing footnotes. I want to make sure that's all <laughs> that's all in line here. I think I think a couple of other things though, why she can't say this. And by the way, I'm not doing PR for Jill Abramson. If she wants to if she wants to revisit this on every single show, that's fine with me. But I just I am I'm curious why. This charge, when it's so obvious, I mean, I think the other thing, did you read this Tom Skoka column that he wrote in uh, hmm, Daily, his blog? And he writes about these reporters and writers who are kind of too big to, to be charged with plagiarism in a way. Mm -hmm. He brings in Fareed Zakaria and Doris Kearns Goodwin. And he says, and you, and you hear it in the, in the way she talks about the sentences there. She's, the message uh, Skoka writes is that sentences Abrams stole weren't good enough as writing to count as stolen property though they were good enough to put down in a book as if they had been her own writing. And it's almost that it's like plagiarism is such a penny ante crime. If you had to compare it to like an actual crime, it would be like stealing someone's mail or something. You know, it's just so lame and so base that mm -hmm. it's almost like she can't bring herself to just say, I just did the lamest, most obvious thing that a news clerk at the New York Times would do. Right. Yeah. Um God, I have a, a lot of things, a lot of things to touch on here. Um yeah, I mean again, I, I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but but the quote that quote that we played keeps coming up and she says Abramson says, you know, the trailing phrase notes are okay if you give them proper credit or or the way that she, you know, whatever. This sort of plagiarism whatever she's being accused of, if you give them proper credit and there is a grain of a kernel of truth there. I mean, the proper credit she should have given was to put the excerpts in quotation marks right. in the in the in the in the on the page. It's not a matter of, uh, you know, it's not it's, it's not it's not a matter of of just like an error in citation. Now, I can speak as someone who's written a book and who used trailing phrase notes <laughs> and who found himself in in uh, you know these sorts of situations not I, I don't believe I was ever accused of plagiarism but but you know it, you, one <laughs> let's do it right here can, today one can understand uh one, one someone in my position can be sympathetic right i mean you can you, you understand how it took place right i mean you're 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 taking uh especially in the internet era um you know what? What was once what were once handwritten notes that you would sort of paraphrase in the process of taking them become cut and paste jobs from websites into Google Docs. You don't remember when you look back which things you rewrote and which things you just pasted wholesale. Uh, and without a, and and then if you're when you're used to working in the in the you know world of newspapers where you do have a a a fact checking desk that this is their job to make sure this stuff doesn't happen. And you find yourself working in books where. Uh, that is rarely, if ever, the case that there is those, those sorts of dedicated employees. I mean, it, mo most in most cases, it's the author's responsibility to hire someone to do that kind of work themselves. Um, you know, you, you it, there there is a sort of um, obliviousness that that a that a writer after you know of, of a certain level of esteem or or not you know could have. Um, you know, I guess my only devil's advocate argument in her defense would be. You know, this is clear. What she did was clearly plagiarism, but you know, it's sort of mind-boggling to think that the, that there would be no crime if she had rewritten those excerpts ten percent more than she did. Okay, so I, you're opening up an interesting question here, which I have seen people kind of get askew on on Twitter, right? Mm -hmm. Resolved 
Jill Abramson committed plagiarism. Yes. I have seen her also accused of things on Twitter that are more in a second category of journalistic misdemeanor, which is, I don't know any other word for it than the dick move, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. plagiarism where I'm stealing sentence from David Shoemaker. And then mm-hmm. there's the dick move where David Shoemaker had 10 examples of why Jill Abramson's book is bad. I took all 10 and wrote my own original review about why Jill, Jill Abramson's book was bad, not stealing yes. any of your language, but not giving you any kind of generous credit, you know, somewhere saying these examples are drawn from David Shoemaker's excellent rundown, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you're right. But I think, I mean, part of this is I think plagiarism weirdly gets elevated to the ultimate journalistic crime. Yes. If I had to list the venial sins, it's probably at no higher than second behind fabulism, right? Fabulism's got to be worse if you're introducing sure. fake information into the, you know, into the world. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of that, but yeah, I mean, but look, I think journalism as some as a newspaper veteran like 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 she knows is a very derivative exercise. And what you bring to it is either rewriting it yourself and putting it in your own words no matter how exciting or unexciting they are. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is if you don't and if you can't be bothered to do that, then to credit someone else who who had to do that. And yeah. you know everybody like one thing she uses that's really irritating and I think this came out when way back in the uh Ruth Shalit uh, at the New Republic, remember who got this was like 19 New Republic scandals ago. So if you forgot, <laughs> I totally understand. But yes. she was the same thing where it's like, oh, the stuff I took was only boilerplate sentences, right? Mm-hmm. But if it was so easy to write boilerplate sentences, why didn't you just write them? Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if they're so unmemorable and easy, you just write them yourself. Mm-hmm. And and like you said, change them by by 30 percent. Just just write them in a different way. That mm-hmm. is journalism, right? Most of like so much of what we do is not just is not grabbing completely, you know, one your 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 piece is not a hundred percent original discovery, right? Right. Even a piece that has tons of reporting has lots of backfill, lots of history, stuff like that. You rewrite it. That's what you yeah. do. Well, I think I think that the answer, I mean, to your original question of why she is, you know, so intent on on denying this charge is is relates to what you said about it, you know, plagiarism being elevated to the, you know, the the number one sin in German journalism, and that I'm sure on some level she believes her crime to be a misdemeanor, but the only name for it is, you know, is capital murder, and there's and that disconnect, at least to to her or to her defenders, is is you know what what's leading. Uh, you know, this this spate of denial. Yeah, but I think, and you know, I think part of that's writing about the media, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a cop, you can't get caught jaywalking in illegal parking all the time because you're a cop, <laughs> right? You right. can't, if you're a cop, you can't, ah, I just had a one DUI. You know, you're really going to mm-hmm. blame a guy for that. You kind of have to have a perfect slate, right? You kind of have to, you have to try as best as you can to get it right. And I saw her, her using the phrase, I think she used an oppo. Was it op- an, waging an oppo campaign? This well, is what she accused yes. Vice of, right? Mm-hmm. And I understand that like what she's doing again is trying to blame shift and say, oh, it's their fault. They're mad at the way I portrayed them. Yeah, they are, by the way. And if you're a journalist who is writing about other journalists and you're going to write about them, she calls it a balanced portrait. You can read it as negatively, whatever you want to read it. Yes, they're going to come for you. Of course they are. So you better make sure everything's right. And you better mm-hmm. make sure you don't leave your flank open by doing stupid stuff like borrowing a sentence or getting your facts wrong. Of course yeah. they're going to come for you. If I write something negative about a journalist, of course they're going to call me or email me pissed off. 
Yes, that's what they're yeah. going to do. You can't get anything wrong. And 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 to call it you know, oppo whatever she's called it. I mean, it's that's just the most I mean, on on some level that's the most problematic part of the whole thing is to say it was she was that they're waging an oppo campaign when she she cannot believe that to be true. Yeah. Right? So I mean, to to say, "Oh, well, we have disagreements over uh, you know, what's ex- what's an acceptable level of journalistic borrowing or whatever, you know, that's just like muddling words but to like just to outright lie about i mean i mean and, and and listen maybe there was a meeting advice where they said we got to go after her because they're going to make us look bad although i don't really believe that there's anything in the book nothing that i've read that, that does anything to alter my my view of what vice is i mean there's a couple of you know stories that sort of seem to sort of back up what they've done but overall i would say you know if she was trying to be critical it, it wasn't wildly successful um, no, but it's but, like, I mean, to me, even an oppo campaign is like, why would you blame them? Why would you blame anybody if you wrote a right. negative thing about them for then like taking a close look at your words to find out if you made any mistakes? Right. And the, and the first, I mean, the opening <laughs> volley so, as far as I- wrong with oppo? The opening volleys in this supposed oppo campaign were v- vice employees, not, not senior staff or anything like that, just pointing out factual errors about themselves, right? Yes. I mean, it was people going onto Twitter and saying- Wow, she like, like deliberately tried to make me look like a less like less of a person than I am, or like like a like less serious than I am, or or you know just tried to make light of of you know what I'm contributing to the to the journalistic world. And Moynihan pointed this out too that like it doesn't matter if they are waging an opposition campaign, right? Because what she was doing was still plagiarism. Yeah, I mean, exactly. it, it, it's it's really beside the point. And I think the point that you were getting at that you made was was exactly right. You can't. I mean, some of these errors or some of the some of this plagiarism, some of everything. I mean, some of this would be more forgivable if she were coming from a different platform, and she's but but she's not right. I mean, you the, the, these are the most basic tenets of journalism, and she was and she had one of the most significant jobs in all of journalism, and uh, yes. and to be fighting it like a like a political spat is just like. Like it's just so beneath her that it that it just delegitimizes the whole enterprise. Yeah, she, and the knows thing, the she knows the difference. She knows yeah, the difference yeah, between this stuff. And she, the thing about her not recording her interviews did we, did you you didn't mention that yet? No. I, <laughs> speaking of fifteen scandals ago, go ahead. Well, she she at some point. I mean, I th- was it fifteen scandals ago? I just I mean, I, three scandals, three Jill Abrams and scandals yeah, ago. Yes. She she said someone asked her about her about note taking or about recording or whatever, and she just claimed to have a photographic memory. I mean, was that is that am I getting it correctly You're that she just like she she just remembers everything and writes it down? And listen, I mean, that's that again. That's the sort of thing that's like charming to hear from like an Esquire feature writer in the fifties, you know, I mean, but it's not that that's not the sort of thing you expect to hear from (laughs) someone with her resume. Right. And, and it's, but it, but it all goes into the same pot of bizarre irresponsibility in this process. Can I tell you my favorite part about the, about no record gate Yeah, was when every journalist on Twitter stood on their hind legs to Mm -hmm. say, well, I record my interviews (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh, we're talking about, let me tell you about my process. And then everybody goes into the thing. Like every journalist just wants to tell you about their process. I mean, yeah. they could have written nothing. And they're just like, oh, let me, let me tell you how to put my pieces together. And I want to go, no, no, I don't just write something else. I really don't need to hear the whole, <laughs> I don't want to hear how you put your stories <laughs> together. I just want to read your good stories. 
Um, and this was like an excuse for everybody to go. Now, when I do an interview, I have a tape recorder running and I have this. And I'm like, no, please, please just, just write a story. Don't, don't do this. You know, we don't, we don't need, no, no, don't teach me. Don't, don't teach. Just, just go back, <laughs> please. Um, the other thing I want, one last thing about this, because yeah. as a book publishing veteran, I want to get you to get at this too. Uh-huh. I'm going to put my footnote on the front end this time. Jason Fagone, reporter at the San Francisco Chronicle, writes about or tweets about how he thinks this is this is due to her not having written the whole book herself, right? Oh, okay. And she does have this this note in the acknowledgments thanking you know people for 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 doing parts of the work, and she says. Uh, Fagone says Abramson can't defend herself by saying, quote, look, I didn't write the book and a lot of people at my level don't because it would sound even worse. Tell us as a book publishing veteran how that whole thing plays. Is it an apocryphal memory or an implanted memory that Charles Barkley claimed that he had not read his own biography when it, <laughs> it was, came out? Is I believe, autobiography? He was, I believe he was misquoted in his own bi- autobiography. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I think that's possible. Although I find it, from having been inside the walls of book publishing, I find it a little bit hard to imagine that Jill Abramson would have gotten a book contract at, under on those same terms as like, you know, the Yao Ming autobiography that's going to go into <laughs> elementary school libraries. Well, I don't mean or whatever. the I don't mean the full, you know. Let's 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 get the ghostwriter. Let's get Jerry B. Jenkins in here. I yeah. mean. I mean, I had a research I, assistant who drafted yes. portions of the manuscript for me, and then I went in and rewrote them, not yeah. realizing that maybe some stuff had slipped in. And so I well, thought, oh, this is a nice sentence, not realizing it was from somewhere else. Yeah, the thing you hear from writers, and you don't have to have worked in book publishing and know this, but I mean, from my you know writing career, I, I know this firsthand. The thing you always hear about writing books is don't do it, right? Because, it, I mean, it's just, even as someone who is a professional writer who writes every day writing a book is just a tidal wave i mean it's just it it it's physically painful um and it's a whole lot of work and it and it, and yeah a lot of people have research assistants a lot of people have have assistants in the writing and and all of these again not trying to ascribe too much benefit of the doubt here but all of the errors all of the 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 the, the crimes of plagiarism here i mean are very clearly just the 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 problem was you know not enough time, too much work, you know, and, and little and and just things not just falling by the wayside, but I think just just, you know, turn like like I said before, they, just turning scraps of notes or what you thought was a note into a, you know, into a line in your book. That's something that you know, that's that's just a simple error that if you had more time or if you had a shorter piece that you were working on, you might have avoided. But, yeah, I think that that's I think that there's some of that. And and I think that her defensiveness um to me, I mean, I think that that if that is true, and I think there's probably a kernel of truth to it, that the defensiveness kind of reads more to me like maybe she had more help than even her publisher knew. Um, but but you know, we'll see, we'll see. I mean, I, I or maybe we'll probably never see. But it's a uh, that that kind of stuff definitely happens, and this is the this is the result of that sort of. It's just another element of carelessness, you know, to hand off something that you're going to have your name attached to. Speaking of unintentional plagiarism, David, it's time for the overworked Twitter joke of the week. Yes. Where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. The Alliance of American Football, David, kicked off on Saturday. Uh, I don't know if you caught any of that action, any any hot San Antonio commanders action. Mm-hmm. Um, but Brad Davis and Lumac, uh, two listeners, remind us that it's always an overworked Twitter joke when you have a new league 
to claim that you've been a lifelong fan of a given team or to claim that every long run and pass is a new league record. So uh, thanks, guys, for for flagging those. Uh, right before we came on the podcast today, Kyler Murray, Heisman Trophy winning Oklahoma quarterback, finally decided that he's going to play NFL football instead of going to play baseball with the Oakland Athletics, the team that drafted him. Okay. It was an overworked Twitter joke this morning to say, Kyler Murray, colon, why I'm leaving the athletics. (laughs) I like that joke. Good stuff. And it was all over the place. Thanks to Matthew Ganson for that one. And finally, David, a giant scandal continues to unfold in the state house in Richmond, Virginia. Sheesh. Is it, am I so messed up that I couldn't help but think about Larry Sabato, you know, the uh, <laughs> reliable dial a quote of Virginia politics? How excited uh-huh. must Larry Sabato be <laughs> the last two weeks? I mean, probably mm-hmm. sad, certainly, right, about the, about, the, about the sad events in Richmond. But do you think he's working like nine phones right now? I mean, how, <laughs> many, how many calls? That guy, that guy gets calls all the time. Imagine now. I opened the um, New York Times the other day, and this was the Larry Sabato quote. This collection of scandals proves beyond a doubt that Virginia has not progressed as far as it thought it has, and it has a past it still hasn't come to terms with. <laughs> if you need, if you need kind of like the all summarizing quote that really doesn't say anything, not everybody can do that. <laughs> not everybody can do that. Great stuff. Um, I also love this tweet from HuffPost Jeffrey Young. I have checked my high school yearbook. And while there are no racist photos in it, there are tons of racist people dressed normally. That's uh, <laughs> anybody who grew up in the South can identify with that one. Um, Dave and I went to high school together, incidentally. Just a, just a note. Um, all right, David. For the overworks, Ralph Northam, the blackface using and also blackface adjacent Virginia governor, uh, who's still hanging on to power, as uh-huh. Democrats call on him to resign, uh, it was an overworked Twitter joke to call his recent efforts the War of Northern Aggression. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and <laughs> Matthew Zeitlin, who sends that in, points out that when Northam won the Virginia gubernatorial race in 2017, people on Twitter also called that the War of Northern Aggression. So, <laughs> Listen, it's a, there's just a limited number of puns that we have to find uses for at any given time. Right, right. You got a good, you got a good overworked Twitter joke. It doesn't really, you just got to find a hook for it. It doesn't really matter if it's the best hook. Yeah. And finally, on that same note, uh, this one, David, uh, when we said more black faces in government, maybe we should have been more specific. <laughs> Thanks to Bug for that one. All right, David, before we move on to Kevin Durant versus the media, let's take a quick break. Clean up your remote control clutter with Control Center by Cavo. Control Center simplifies your home theater so you can control everything connected to your TV with one easy-to-use remote with a voice control. Plug in your streamer, sound system, cable or satellite, even your game console, and Control Center does it all. Don't waste time fiddling with different remotes or weeding through messy search results to get the content you want. One universal voice remote controls it all, so just say what you want and watch and let Control Center handle the rest. In fact, you can enjoy every second of couch time and easily switch between content without moving a muscle. Let Control Center take your at-home entertainment experience from stressful to simple and enjoy what you want when you want it with ease. Shop now and get 40% off Control Center with the promo code PRESSBOX. That's $59.95, 40% off regular pricing of $99.95. Service plan required, first 45 days free. Control Center is available at caavo.com. Control Center by Cavo. 
one remote that does it all. All right, David, last week, Kevin Durant was in a period of silence, a.k.a. not talking to the sports writers and regional cable types after the game. Uh, naturally, people got interested in why he wasn't talking, especially since the New York Knicks, the team a lot of people think Durant is going to sign with this summer, had just cleared out a ton of salary cap space, almost if they knew Durant was coming to New York. Uh-huh. Um, on Wednesday, KD, as he's known, faced the media, and here's what he said. I have nothing to do with the Knicks. I don't know who traded Porzingis. They got nothing to do with me. I'm trying to play basketball. Y'all come here every day, ask me about free agency, ask my teammates, my coaches. You rile up the fans about it. Y'all let us play basketball. That's all I'm saying. And now when I don't want to talk to y'all, it's a problem with me. Come on, man. Grow up. Grow up. Yeah, you. Grow up. Come on, bro. I come in and go to work every day. I don't cause no problems. I play the right way. Or I try to play the right way. I try to be the best player I can be every possession. What's the problem? What am I doing to y'all? You weren't talking. You weren't talking. So? Who are you? Why do I got to talk to you? Tell me. Does that is that going to help me do my job better? Nah, bro. I didn't feel like talking. Who are you, David? Who are you? <laughs> I don't want to make too much of this because if, if you just like hear what he's saying, I just want to play basketball. He said, you're twisting my words at another point mm-hmm. during that. This is what every athlete who's ever been pissed at the media has said. This, yes. is, this, is, this, from, this is the playbook, right? Mm-hmm. I just think it's interesting. We've gotten to this point where NBA players have officially, or I guess unofficially, you can't officially become a shadow general manager, unofficially become a shadow general manager, right? Like Kevin Durant, like LeBron James, like all these guys. And now they find themselves facing criticism from the media for being a shadow general manager, right? Not just for how Kevin Durant plays, not just because he missed the big shot and got called Mr. Unreliable by the Oklahoma City paper, but now he's getting blamed for orchestrating things around the league. What do you make of that? And is this where we're going to go now in our media relations with uh, our favorite NBA superstars. Yeah, I mean listen, I th- I think that I think that there's a little bit hard to to talk in great specifics, but there is a feeling well first of all this is what we're interested in in the NBA right now. We've had this conversation before. Um you know, the 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 NBA games do, you know, fine ratings, but but it's clear from, you know, just the general direction of web traffic that we that people are more interested in trade rumors and Yep. And uh, speculation, you know, free agency, and and all this sort of speculation. It's hypotheticals, yeah, hy- hypotheticals, and 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 the it's the dirt, it's the gossip, you know. Um, I think that there's there's certainly a feeling amongst fans that there is sort of a shadow NBA going on, right? I mean, that the people, uh, re- reporters, uh, podcasters such as our boss Bill Simmons, um, people, you know, will openly discuss. Um, the tampering that is surely going on, and and the sort of way, and the and the and the fine lines between tampering with a capital T and with a lowercase T, or whatever, however you want to delineate it. <laughs> um, there's you know there there's also this there's also amongst people uh, like Bill, like in all the big names, we there there've been discussions from you know about about Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, you know, lots of different people who will um, who will 
uh, Brian Windhorst, I think there was a specific example that's not coming to mind, but who, who will who will kind of say after the fact, yeah, we all knew that was coming when a big story happens, big story breaks, right? Right. And so there's this feeling that there is a, a level of knowledge in the inside that the fans aren't getting. And so even though I think that the reaction to the Knicks Mavericks trade that that sort of opened up all this, you know, cap room to potentially get Kevin Durant is a little bit overblown. Um, and you can listen to Zach Lowe's wonderful podcast. I think you, I, I forgot who his guest was, but uh, he, he he discussed it right afterwards and he made the really compelling case that this is just a really simple dollars and cents, you know, decision that they made. And, and regardless, I mean, certainly there was something else going on, but you can make, it, it's not as one-sided as you think. But I, I do think that there's, you know, just the assumption that there's that there is all this sort of backroom dealing going on, and um, whether or not Kevin Durant is fully, you know, in the loop on that, you know, whatever. It's it, it, it I, I can I can understand his frustration, right? I mean, the stuff about the teammates, the stuff about messing, you know, messing with the mess, messing up, you know, his relationships in real time. I mean, that's that that's I can understand why that'd be frustrating, but yeah. Um, you know, all you can really do is sort of this, the inverse of what of what Kyrie Irving did at the beginning of the season, and just say, "I'm not going to sign with the Knicks," or "I've I've never talked to the Knicks." Like literally, this has never happened. You have to have a declarative, <laughs> full it, statement whether or not it's wait true. Wait a minute, and, though. We haven't. It, had, what, it hasn't stopped anything with Kyrie, has it? Though haven't we? Well, aren't we it, only speculating to, about Kyrie Irving's next destination all year? It well, yes, but this is also like the "Are you running for president?" thing that that always <laughs> kind of raises my hackles. It's like you like how much how much time and energy do politics reporters waste trying to goad people into telling you know saying something a little bit less than specific about whether or not they're running for president or, or you know to get the non denial denial just and that becomes the news story. I mean, yeah. sure, I feel we, the, we should have we should have just like designated zones where we can have these sorts of conversations. And then, and then actually just like, you know, report the news the rest of the time. I, I get where he's coming from. Wait, it's like three seconds in the pain or something like that? You yeah, exactly. Yes. Then you gotta, then you gotta get <laughs> yeah. out. Um, yeah. I feel a little bit of sympathy. On the other hand, I think what's happened is if you're an NBA player and you've suddenly accrued general managing player movement agency in in your sport, like almost no player has has ever gotten in any sport ever, right? Um, you know, I mean, how many people are either unhappy moving teams, forcing a trade just in the last like two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you would take this trade off that you're going to yeah. get annoying, more annoying questions in the press conference about where you're signing next year yes, or our teams doing things because there's a secret understanding or secret wink, wink that you're going to go there. I think you take that trade if you're an NBA player. It's really abs- annoying, but like all of a sudden yes. you get to do what you want. Thank and by the way, thank goodness and from my point of view. So yeah, you got this exactly right. It's a, I mean, this is a conversation about agency, right? But it's not, but about but power. Should, yeah, but we should not. I don't think you can, but but you're still going to get annoyed. And I th- and I don't think that despite the level of power and the, I mean, despite the fact that players like Durant have supplanted the teams and in some sense supplanted the league as the public facing voice of ba- of professional basketball we can't read every time they talk into an open mic as the official statement on a subject right you're allowed to be pissy after a game True. you know you're when when people are crammed into your face and you, and you opened up by saying the right thing this is a very this is the standard response people are always <laughs> mad and and 
you know, he was responding. I think he was particularly mad about a specific article that he that he went on to discuss by by Ethan Strauss. And, and uh, you know, there's there is I think that I think that that, you know, setting that piece aside, there's there's always going to be legitimate gripes with the way you're written about. Right. Um, oh, yeah. It's, it's not just a matter of it's not or, just or a illegitimate of, gripes. Yeah, sure. But 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 there's but, you know, there's th- those two things, you know, I mean, there's plenty of both of those to go around. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that it's I, I think that we you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't be too hard on him for one outburst um, because he's human. But you're right. I mean, in, in, in some sense, it's the, the playing field has shifted to such a degree that, you know, we have to take even those outbursts somewhat seriously. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought this was illustrated by LeBron's thing on Instagram this week. Uh, more wow. than anything, it was when Harrison Barnes got traded by the Mavericks in a, mm-hmm. in a trade that followed that trade we were just talking about. And he says, when a player wants to be traded or leaves a franchise, he's a selfish slash ungrateful player. But when they trade, release, wave, cut you, et cetera, et cetera, it's best for the team. I'm okay with both, honestly. I truly am. Just call a spade a spade, right? So he's essentially making this argument, right? Why is it when we want to go somewhere, we're selfish, et cetera, right? But when a general manager like Danny Ainge just dumps us in a trade, ain't no problem. You know, that was what Mm -hmm. what was best for the franchise. (laughs) There was a good response, though, when getting to what I'm talking about. I saw this from Dallas radio host Jeff Wade, where he said, I don't agree with disagree with LeBron's take. The problem is that LeBron just tried to to trade, tried to trade half his team to the Pelicans. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) if, if LeBron is arguing, hey, NBA players are real people, they have feelings. Let's not treat them like assets and salary dumps and all this other stuff which I agree can be kind of dehumanizing. LeBron, mm-hmm. what, wasn't LeBron kind of trying to do that? Or yeah. at least we think in order to get Anthony Davis? I, I want to actually take this in a conversation in a different way because I think there's one thing that's interesting that I heard Ryan Rossillo say on the BS podcast at the trade deadline, that big blowout that he and Bill did. He said something along the, the lines of this. Look, the media right now, the sports media, like it has never been before, is incredibly pro player right now. And thank goodness for that. Right. Mm -hmm. They are identifying with players more than they ever have. And, you know, the player should have the power for to move around, not the billionaire asshole who owns a team. Great. What Rosilla went on to say was, even if you feel this way, shouldn't you admit over the last few weeks, months, years, that this is actually causing incredible chaos around the league. And at some point it sort of gets insane. So, He's essentially saying, can you be a sports writer who says, I think players should have all or most of the power Mm -hmm. and at the same time admit that the players using that power to its fullest is making the NBA kind of insane and weird and almost, you know, straining a lot of relationships right now. What do you think of that point? Well, I mean, uh, I think that there's I think that he's asking the right question. And I think that, you know, I mean, I mean, Rosillo asks a lot of the right questions and yeah. a lot of interesting questions. And I, and I, and I, I think that, I mean, I think that we're, we're not used to a sports landscape in which you can ask a question and not have an answer. And that's what makes this whole conversation so difficult. Right. I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of, there's a whole lot of weird duality in this. I mean, I think part of the reason why Durant and, and I mentioned Kyrie Irving are kind of getting it right now is because, I don't know what the I don't know that I don't, I'm assuming the NBA doesn't hand out rules about what reporters can ask about. No, nope. but they they reporters seem to be comfortable asking about free agency because that's a conversation that we've been having you know for years, but not asking LeBron about running a shadow government 
you know, out of Los Angeles <laughs> and like trying to force a trade of one of his, one of his, you know, one of his best friends, one of, one of, one of his agents, agencies, other clients to his own team. Um, and like you said, trade away the, you know, the whole existing roster. Um, you know, some, it's, it's interesting that, that, you know, the kind of question, the kind of directed questions that, that, you know, get, they get just, they get chosen, I guess I should say. Yeah. I mean, it's probably a no, no different, you know, the, the difference is the way those two guys handle the media, you know, probably is the simplest answer. I also think the Durant thing is however you want to say it, it became a public story this year because mm-hmm. his teammate was pissed about it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like people are just speculating. This happened. <laughs> um, and to the Rosillo question, it's interesting. I mean, to me, the one thing is, it's it's sort of weird for the media to complain because, as you pointed out, all these hits are accruing to us, right? We are becoming, you know, all the more speculation, the more I want out of here, the more I want to trade, that all becomes page views. That all becomes money for reporters because they get to cover it, they get to report on it, all that stuff, including us here at The Ringer. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'd say about it is it's, it's weird that, like, when – the commissioner and the owners had most of the power in the NBA. Like when David Stern was worried about tattoos and cornrows, you know, uh-huh. and making players wear suits and all that stuff, that the me- the media did not do enough to stand up and be like, this is insane. It's not that no one did it, but not enough people did it, right? Stood yeah. up and was like, this is insane and quasi-racist. But yeah. now we have to stand up and say, like, now that the players finally kind of took control, now we have to stand up and say it? Now's the time it's incumbent upon somebody's got to say something. Yeah. I know. And I'm not saying he's implying that, but it just feels weird that now's the time that the media must stand up to the and 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 talk about what what's really going on the NBA because it just didn't happen in the other eras. And it was worse, you know? Well, I think you're right. And I think that's why it's a, I mean, I said it's a question without an answer because I think that we should acknowledge that. I mean, I think it's fair to acknowledge that it's uh, you know, it unsettles the league and it's, and it's, uh, you know, just sort of mind boggling in any number of ways, but there's not a solution that's implicit in that. Right. I mean, it's like the, like, again, I mean, we keep going back to the journalism aspect of it, but like really the only, you're not, I, I, I struggle to find, I str- I struggle to imagine a mechanism that would prohibit, you know, Kevin Durant's agent from having a drink with the Knicks general manager and having this sort of come up uh, offhandedly, you know, <laughs> last summer. So really all you, the only, I mean, the only solution is to, for journalists to not write about it. And I know I was the one making the case for the three second rule, but the, but I mean, honestly, it's, it's either you, you, you kind of cover it or you don't. I think oh, that, yeah. The, yeah, I mean, I think that's it. Can we have like a five minute discussion about Jeff Bezos? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I don't have a ton to say about this, but I feel this is our zone. We should say something about this. Uh, If you weren't following Amazon founder, Jeff Bezos wrote in a Medium post uh, last week that he was made an offer I couldn't refuse, quote unquote. That offer was from AMI, which owns the National Enquirer. And the offer specifically was that AMI would sit on text messages relating to Bezos' affair with Lauren Sanchez including uh, one text that showed his, quote, semi-erect manhood, and another text that showed his, quote, top of his pubic region. Um, And what AMI wanted was for Bezos to release a statement affirming that his parties, quote, have no knowledge or basis for suggesting that AMI's coverage 
was politically motivated or influenced by political forces. This is referring to a number of things, but including <laughs> the mysterious production of an AMI 90-page glossy magazine about Saudi Prince Mohammed bin Salman <laughs> before <laughs> the prince's visit to the United States. Um, quick thoughts. One, as has been said many times on Twitter, too many too many citations for the, for the trailing footnotes here. Isn't this a one-off because... Jeff Bezos is really rich and can hire good lawyers and spokesmen and all that other stuff. Yeah. And two, isn't it also a one-off because <laughs> this this solution to the blackmail, the alleged blackmail from AMI, requires you to admit a lot of really embarrassing stuff in public? Yes. Or photos to get out that maybe <laughs> most people wouldn't feel comfortable with admitting in public and good for him for standing up to this. Yeah. But – it's only going to work, right? If you're willing to be like, okay, here are the most, here are some incredibly embarrassing things about me uh, that I'm willing to let these guys print. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think that that you know, if you, if it's easy to it's easy to side with Jeff Bezos here, and and I find myself uh, doing so. Um, but really, this is just more. I mean, the lesson here is this is the power of a you know plutocracy or whatever. I mean, he's not. This is not a guy who's running for office. It's not a guy who's particularly subject to a a, a board in his company. I mean, he's he's the richest man alive, and you and it wouldn't matter if they published all this stuff to him. It would not. It would not probably change his life to any great degree. Um, and so he has the power to stand up, and he has the, he has the power to do. He, he has he has the yeah the power to do the right thing in this case, and a lot of other people in his situation wouldn't have that. Um, but yeah, it's a this is it's a it's a very it's it's a very very weird story, and I've watched it ro- unfold. I just don't understand. I still can't quite wrap my mind around what the inquirer was doing. By I mean, sending all these emails through formal channels and the whole thing was just very bizarre. Mm-hmm. Let's do the notebook dump because uh, I have a couple of things I want to get to you. I have what might be the worst sports politics tweet in human history. Um, wow. So okay. Matt Visor, political reporter at the Washington Post. Did you see all a lot of the Democratic women were wearing white to the State of the Union last week? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, an attempt to make a statement, including Nancy Pelosi. Um Visor writes, the women all in white is a pretty potent image evoking the suffrage movement and reminiscent of whiteout games in sports where the home team attempts to convey a unified message. This is our house. And then has a picture of Penn State football fans all wearing white. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I don't think that's the right metaphor. I don't think that's the right sports metaphor. I think that might be too many words for a tweet. There's also that. So your 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 problem is tweet just a little wordy. No, I just think you. I think once you once you're under the third clause of a sentence, you're going to get in over your head. You know, you're going to get out ahead of your feet or whatever. I mean, it's, right. there's there's you're going to it's it's a problem. I don't think it's like when sports teams randomly and kind of disturbingly tell all their fans to wear white. I just don't I don't think that's no, exactly like what that. it is. Um, also from the State of the Union, you saw David. Uh, this was via headline in L that said Nancy Pelosi's iconic pity clap will sustain me for days. <laughs> what what bot wrote that headline? Incredible, right? Um, oh my god! On twi- we should get like a blue ribbon for SEO there. That's fantastic. <laughs> on Twitter, Matt Boers notes that Pelosi said after the speech she didn't mean the clap sarcastically, but was actually generally applauding one of Trump's policies uh, at the speech. So, so much for that. And back to canonizing Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> Sorry, if you were, if you take, if you'd taken a ten minute break, 
uh, from Notorious RBG content. Please get back to work. We had yet another uh, weird thing from Stephen A. Smith. Mm-hmm. This was, um, he said of Dwayne Haskins, the Ohio State quarterback, uh, that he is more, quote, more of a runner than a thrower. And as uh, MMQB's Robert Klemko pointed out, his rushing stats last year were were 79 carries for 108 yards. <laughs> so he had 1.4 yards a carry. I I saw some I saw some uh, headlight about this. Maybe it's awful now. I can't remember where it was. People saying Stephen A. Smith is Stephen A. Smith done so many of these mess ups that he is sacrificing his ability to talk about the NFL. It has happens when he talks about football, right? He probably wouldn't make this kind of mistake about the NBA. Uh-huh. I, I have a different take, which is, I think, I, to borrow a phrase from Jack Schaefer, there's kind of strange new respect for Stephen A. Smith in the world right now. And he has kind of triumphed over whatever queasiness people have about the opinionator industry, opinionist <laughs> industry, like nobody else. They don't feel this about way about, you know, Bayless in the same way. They don't feel this way about Max Kellerman, any of these guys. He somehow can just play through and mm-hmm. it's fine. It's totally fine. And I just don't, I think people, I think Stephen A just has kind of won in a way. Yeah. And I didn't, I don't know how it happened, but you know, I think that guy has just like, whether it's, he's been around so long or whether it's like people judge that of all the opinions he does, like he has the, <laughs> he has the most highest rate of like, oh, this is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that there's weirdly something less offensive about an utterly incorrect opinion than a bad opinion. You know, I mean, it, to see to see another talking head on ESPN just say something that you just think is sort of dumb or silly or beside the point. Uh, that's what kind of it, it, I like I, I can, you know, that, that's what will raise my hackles anyway. When someone just gets something wrong, it is just sort of hilarious. But that's all it is. It's just like, I mean, listen, Stephen A. Smith spends 23 and a half hours of the day on the air you know i mean he's he's gonna he's gonna slip up at some point he's got he's got his first take he's got his giant radio show he's they have him on get up now it seems like half the time i turn it on he's on the screen whether or not he's teasing his show or not i mean they're just he's just he's doing basketball commentary obviously this football he's doing boxing stuff i mean it's just he's all over the place and and uh i think that he's an easy target for a joke but i think that you know, I think that even I think that everybody is aware that this is this is this is what happens when you're overextended. We but we appreciate him as an entertainer, not as a you know, not as a necessarily like expert mind on every single subject. So you're saying broken take is better than hot take. Broken take is definitely preferable to me. Uh, David Adnan Vert got fired last week. Oh, yeah. ESPN host uh, Andrew Marchand broke the story in The New York Post. Uh, saying that uh, apparently ESPN came to the conclusion that Verk had leaked some some semi embarrassing information about Major League about ESPN's relationship with Major League Baseball uh, to the site Awful Announcing. Um, an investigation, a quick investigation followed, and he was sort of summarily fired. Um, I got a couple thoughts about this. One mm-hmm. is I imagine that this only reached this level of crisis because. It's information about an ESPN partner yes. rather than information about ESPN itself. I just mm-hmm. don't think you'd care that much about about some of the stuff. Um, the second thing is, I think it's fine for us all just to say Adnan Verk shouldn't have been fired. 
Uh, I, I, I don't want to play ESPN fantasy HR department where I go, you know, what would have been right for him is like a two week suspension. You know, that was what I was like. No, of course I don't think that as somebody who wants media personalities to talk to me. I don't think any suspension would be a good idea. Sure. I think, I think, I think he should be allowed to talk. I think they should all be allowed to talk. I don't mm-hmm. think any of them should be suspended. So I just want to, I just want to like, to me, when we're thinking about this, like, Adnan Verk made a mistake, or I, I don't think he made a mistake. I don't think he did anything wrong. And it's not my responsibility to enforce ESPN HR policy. So just on the record, my my opinion is no suspension for Adnan Verk. Zero. Nothing. Get his job back. There you go. How about you? Uh yeah, I, I co-signed that. I mean, I think that there's there's matters of decorum and 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 everything else but i you know at the, at the end of the day i think i'm especially when especially in, in this sort of subject matter i'm i'm just sort of a you know a truth nihilist i mean i don't think anything should if if you're <laughs> if you're saying something that is true then that's you know especially in 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 the context of journal, in reporting and journalism like it's hard to a it's hard to really ascribe too much fault. No, I, you know, I get it. If someone talks to you and they're just like, "I know, we know you've been on the phone with this dude a lot, and you're getting a little bit too chummy with him," just like lay off for a while. You know, I mean, that's that's a conversation that that you know employers can have with employees, or or you know, managers can have with their reports. And and you know, I, I understand if someone needs to take action, but but yeah, I mean, this does not seem like. I mean, this seems like. Like you said, specifically about the MLB thing, it seems like somebody made a call that they wanted to see some, uh, wanted to see some sort of punishment take place, and and uh, you know, it's, it's it's all really unnecessary. That's the press box this week. David Shoemaker and I will be back with more heavily footnoted and lukewarm takes about the media next week. Jim Cunningham's the producer. Chris Almeida helps us with the research. David, see you next week, buddy. See you later, man. you david i'm just sort of a you know a truth nihilist i mean i don't think anything should if you <laughs> why is it when we want to go somewhere we're selfish etc right that again that's the sort of thing that's like charming to hear from like an esquire feature writer in the 50s you know i mean but it's not that all becomes patrons Dave and I went to high school together, incidentally. Just a, just a note. The whole thing was just very bizarre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. Let me tell you, David, about Cavo. Clean up your remote control clutter with the Control Center by Cavo. Plug in your streamers, sound system, cable, satellite, or game console, and control everything connected to your TV with one easy-to-use voice-controlled remote. Shop now and get 40% off Control Center with the promo code PRESSBOX. That's $59.95. 40% off the regular pricing of $99.95. Service plan required. First 45 days free. Control Center is available at caavo.com and Best Buy. Control Center by Cavo, one remote that does it all.